0: Hi folks, a quick disclaimer before we start. The audio quality of this podcast is pretty abysmal. The reason being it was recorded on a cell phone in an extremely noisy Cape Town coffee shop in February of 2018. At the time, it wasn't envisioned that this would become a podcast, but then, well, it turned out to be a pretty fun interview. So we ask that you bear with us. If you can't bear the awful audio, which would be totally understandable, there is also a full transcription of this interview available beneath the podcast on stuff.co.za. Just search for Neil Gaiman. Thanks for listening or for reading. I guess first off, I know you have spoken about this a little bit when we uh, when we were all chatting as a group the other day. But I know what were some of the key differences of working with someone like Amazon versus the things you've done before with, with the BBC? You know, do you feel like you had freer reign, uh, more uh, control, better, better budget? Well, better budget, obviously.
1: I mean, it's the the biggest one. There was a process. I, you know, I wrote the scripts, working with the BBC. I handed them into the BBC. Then you had this weird point where, if if you're if you're existing on a sort of probability curve. You know, the probability of it happening when you're starting is maybe figure okay, it's about 50 percent. You mean the show coming, the show ha- actually happening? All right, yeah. And I handed them in, and then you could sort of feel the probability of it ever happening just sort of dropping, plummeting as the BBC looked at these scripts and went, "This is really expensive. This is um, this is not a cheap." this is like, we can't even make this at Doctor Who levels this is, this demands a real budget and we don't have that money. And I could feel everything going away. And then they went out very nervously to Amazon you know, we had a couple of meetings with a few American networks that they had to sort of contractually go to first. They had to go and talk to uh, AMC because AMC owns BBC America and and you could sort of see a a faint blank puzzlement at AMC MC as I did my pitch, and like, this is weird. And then, once the script, all, all the scripts were in, they went out to Amazon to see if Amazon would like to sort of partner with them. And Amazon were like, actually, we want to put it on first. We want to give you all of the money that you would need to make it. So you can stop looking for partners. You can stop sort of your plan of coming to us for a bit and going around the world and having a little bit from everybody. We, we want to make it. And that changed everything. So it's been amazing being able to just do it with the budget. And having said that, the budget isn't even, you know, it's not Game of Thrones level. It's not even American Gods level. It's just normal American television level, you know, in this sort of Netflix, Amazonian, HBO world. But it's it's enough money to make the thing that we, want,
0: we wanted to do. And to make it in the way you wanted to. And yeah. I mean, do you think this would have been possible even a few years ago? there would no. have been a bunch of attempts, right? I heard you saying something last night about Terry Gilliam having had interest in doing it too, but that it would have had to be a sort of well, two-hour film at best and that that just, there's too much to cover. And Terry
1: in came sort of really of close to making it in 2002. <laughs> he had Robin Williams lined up. Uh, to play Aziraphale Pastor the Demon and Madam Tracy (laughs) Johnny Depp was going to play Crowley and um, Kirsten Dunst was going to play Anathema I mean great wonderful cast We had all the money pledged from all around the world. He said I just have to go into Hollywood, find out which major studio wants to pick it up. They get a $70 million movie for $10 million. It's gonna be this is gonna be the easiest thing of my career. And he went out and it was post-9-11 and A, he terrifies people.
0: Yeah. Lose money in film,
1: ask Terry Gilliam how. Uh, yeah. Which is which is fascinating because the only thing he's ever done that went over budget is Baron Munchausen. Ever since then, you know he was he was like well, oh, you know 12 months Monkeys on time, on budget. Um, Fisher King on time, under budget. You know, he was so proud of himself. Sure. And- but they're still terrified of him. They're mostly they're terrified of him because they know that he doesn't take him seriously. It
0: hasn't been traditionally... A, it wasn't a good uh, box office bit, you know. Years later, you know, you know, things like Brazil are hailed as classics, but well, at the time they uh, they don't fill, fill
1: theatres necessarily. It wasn't even that with Brazil. It was the fact the studio had recut their version with a happy ending, and Terry managed to arrange a screening for the Foreign Press and got the Golden Globe as best movie, which then put them into this impossible position where Terry took out this advert saying, are you going to be re-releasing my film? And they wound up... And they they released it incredibly badly and grudgingly, but you can't not release a film that just won the Golden Globe for Best Picture.
0: doing that sort of meddling? I mean, the impression we've gotten is that, in this instance, this hasn't been the case. You don't seem to have corporate overlords that are breathing down your neck, that are wanting to see dailies and control, control the messaging and so on.
1: Well, the hilarious thing is both the BBC and Amazon get the dailies, and we get notes from them and the notes come in every couple of weeks every two or three weeks we get an email just going this is amazing guys we can't believe it we love it thank you so much and a couple of weeks later we get another one saying oh my god this is amazing have you ever had Um, an experience quite so supportive before? never ever ever you know I was watching what Brian Fuller and Michael Green went through on American Gods where you know stars were going this doesn't you know we've seen these dailies this stuff you're going to have to reshoot this and we haven't reshot anything nothing and when now eighty five days into a hundred and seven day shoot and this multi million dollar production everybody loves what we're doing and it's a I and that I attribute to the the grumpy Scottish genius of Douglas McKinnon. Right.
0: Well, you did seem to have something of uh, a dream team. I mean, could you have designed a better collection of stars and co-workers if you if you tried? Well, we did try. It. That's how we got here. There
1: was a lot of trying. I'm so proud of it. I mean, you know, you look at the cast. Miranda Richardson. That's, that's Madame Tracy. Derek Jacobi is the magic. Tra- I mean, you know, just these. Sean Brooke playing Adam's mum. This is the woman who stole the last season of Sherlock. Is now rightly being regarded as one of the UK's finest actresses. And she plays Adam's mum. Yeah. Uh With Daniel Mays playing his dad. And they're both doing it because they love Good Omens. They love the script. They wanted to be involved in the project the rest of the legal gentlemen coming in for it. We've got the rest of the legal gentlemen coming in for it. Um, Again, because they want to be part of this. So you get this wonderful kind of snowball turning into an avalanche thing where it's like, well, of course you'd want to be part of it. Everybody cool is part of it. And that is all really down to Michael Sheen having read the book when he was at drama school and loved it. And when I reached out to him and said, Michael... We had dinner, and I said, look, I want you to be in Good Omens. And he's like, okay, yes, so you want me to be cruelly then? Right, I can be, yes, so wear the shades, and I'll be the cool, sexy. One. And I was like, no, actually, I want you to be a because he's the heart of the whole thing. Um, you can do that. And I love the fact that we've got this world now in which Michael, who is far and away the finest Welsh actor of his generation, has also never played anybody that people fell in love with. He does an amazing David Frost or, or, you know, Tony Blair or whatever. He's never played a character. You simply just get happy. When he walks on the screen, you get happy. You watch Michael and he has comic timing finer than I had ever imagined. I knew that David had great comic timing, but I've never actually watched Michael doing anything that demanded comedic delivery and comedic timing I'm just going, you are, you are amazing. I, I didn't know that. But, you know, we're lucky. Michael McKean. I've been a fan of Michael McKean's since the first time I saw a Spinal Tap, like 1984, yeah. with no idea what to expect as as a young journalist seeing it as the preview, yeah. and having
0: Michael as our shadow, <laughs> just magic. And you know these things are so um, inherently collaborative. There are there's so many moving parts, so many so many people involved, people wanting to bring you know actors that are, you know with enormous personalities who want to bring something to this. And how important is it for you? Who original sort of vision or at least half of the original vision it was to uh, to let go a little and, and let them run with it. You don't let people run with it. You're wasting
1: everybody's time. By the same token one of the things I've learned to do as show and I didn't quite have it there as beginning <laughs> is to go no to things. People bring you wonderful Ideas like kids bringing home something they made at school. You have, you have to say no. actually, it needs to
0: be better. It needs to be different. No one went to put your foot down. Yeah, and um, that's was your prerogative. Absolutely, sort of the role that you've been assigned or that you've taken up. Um,
1: I took it myself. I sort of, I grabbed it and just said the only way that I will do this
0: is if I can do all of it. Um, Taking on all that though, knowing what you do now, would you be a showrunner again? No. No. (laughs) Right? But then... are you glad to have done it for this, in this instance, to take
1: all that work on? I did it for Terry. I did it because it was his last request. I did it because Terry said, you have to do this. You have to write this. I can't do this. We've always done everything together. I can no longer do this. You have to do this because you're the only person with the knowledge and the passion and the understanding of good omens that I have. And I want to see this on television before I die. And I said, okay. And then the bastard died, which meant... And it really forced your hand, because you can't back out now. You can't back out now. I can't can't ring him up and say, Terry, you know, I really need to get back to writing novels or whatever. I had a conversation with my wife the other night. She was like, well, you know, I want to get the novelist that I married back. But I understand why you're doing this, you know, giving the money and stuff. And I was like, hang on, on, hold on, hold on. You do realize that the only reason I can afford... To spend three years of my life working at BBC Rates on six scripts and show running an entire show is because I'm a best-selling author whose life right now is being funded by the sale of already written books. And, you know, it was great. Norse mythology came out and went up to number one and, and hung out there. That's wonderful. That was my income for last year. Once you spread that income over four years and you start working on it in the beginning of 2015 and you end it at the end of 2018, Honestly, this is this is this is an expensive hobby. Sure. This is like this is like owning a racehorse or a boat. <laughs> right. But I promised Terry. And so no, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it in the beginning. I'm I had to explain to uh, Enrica last night at dinner, she was like, I've seen you said that you would retire after this from journey. I'm like, Yeah. She's like, but you also said that you are good at it. I was like, Yeah I am. Sure. Turns out, who knew? she was saying, English "Well, why this, would you? Why yeah, would you retire?" Not. And I'm like, "Because I'm a novelist. I want to. Yeah. I want to get up at ten thirty <laughs> in the afternoon if I want to, and not have to get up because at five every morning. And I want to not have to deal. You know, I became a novelist to not have to deal with budget conversations and office, and office politics and All of the stuff that you you sign up to be a novelist because you were a control freak." And you want to be in control of your own life.
0: Right, and your own destiny and your own hours. And my
1: own destiny, my own hours, and when I can stop and play with my child. Yeah. And I want to go back to that. And it's so really safe to say that uh, Terry would be happy with the, with the I result. I think knowing Terry, he would have been a mixture of incredibly happy and then taking me aside pointing at something on the screen
0: Last few minutes.
1: and saying why didn't you ask me about that i could have made that scene 17% funnier all you need to you know how that goes all you need to do I missed him the other day. I wrote... I had to write the kind of signs that you get in offices for hell. Um, you mean like, like motivational posters? Or like, you know, you don't, you just have don't have leave to be... things on the coffee machine? More like that, along with the sort of you don't have to be mad to work here, but it helps. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, please clean up after yourself. Your mother doesn't work here. You don't have a mother. <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah. And things like that. Right. And I wrote, you know, a dozen of them. And I just thought, now is the point where I would send this email over to Terry and he would make half of mine twice as funny by changing a couple of words and adding bits. And he would do a whole batch of his own ones that would be just as good or even funnier and the whole would be better than what either of us could have done on our own and he's not here so everyone's just going to have my, my posters which are probably going to be
0: you know off in the corner of your eye mostly and not even read. but I think that's really nice for I mean there's the little details that the, the sort of you know the avid fans love and I guess maybe I mean that's a good place to wrap up I? the sort of kind of perceived pressure when it's something that has such even rabid fans who have such strong ideas themselves of you know what should stay and what should go. Do you feel any pressure from that or do you also go actually sort of I wrote the book, I wrote it for the screen and you're just gonna have to trust that I know best?
1: I wrote a thing for Tumblr because over on Tumblr you have communities of people who have loved good omens for many, many years and who do art for good omens and, and love the characters and all have their own visions. And I wrote a thing saying, look, you may have your head canon of how our characters look. And it's true. It's fine. It's real. There are ones who have beautiful, ethereal Aziraphales who look like Michelangelo's David. And that's true. And then there are ones who have Aziraphales who are very short and incredibly fat and wear check trousers and have spectacles and curly hair. That's true, too. And the ones who's a zero fails, you know, they, they, they pick all sorts of different things and they love them and they're true for them. And my attitude is that's absolutely great. And that's absolutely true. And by the same token, nobody's asking you to give up any of that. Treat this as if good omens were Hamlet and you're going to see a production of Hamlet. Nobody's ever expecting you to give up the Hamlet in your head for this particular production. I hope you will like it. I hope that you will respond to it. The idealized Hamlet in your head is not threatened by the fact that we have decided to get Michael Sheen to play Hamlet. This is what you're going to deal with. And so I feel an obligation to the fans to give them something that they enjoy. Um, And occasionally I felt... I just turned around and said, we're not changing that because that's that way in the book. And it has to be that way. But by the same token, there's loads of things in this that aren't in the book, because that's just as much fun too, whether it's, whether it's getting to meet angels in heaven or getting to actually getting to see demons in hell, whether it's watching Crowley and Aziraphale through history. It's, it's stuff that wasn't in the book. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just meant that we didn't write it there. So now it, it embiggens. Oh, yeah, thank
0: you. You are so welcome. Thank you so much.